Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Anytime in the church or in the pulpit, we revisit subjects and and uh, topics over and over again. But I want to go back and purposely revisit something from oh maybe eleven or so years ago, Amen. And uh, something that, as a pastor, I try sometimes in the beginning of the year to go back over some disciplines and principles of God's Word that I think are great to revisit. As we begin a new year, such as fasting and prayer and Bible reading and things of that nature that uh, hopefully that we strive to make a daily part of our lives, or at least if we don't, we should try to because it will be nothing but beneficial to our Christian journey and our Christian walk. And so with that being said, I'm going to look the next few weeks once again, take another look once again at a prayer that most people are familiar with, which is a pattern of prayer that was given to the disciples of the Lord that they could pattern their prayer lives after. Matthew chapter number 6, but prior to getting into that today, there's some uh, principles of prayer that lead up to that. Matthew 6 and verse number 5, Jesus is speaking here. Uh, This is a part of his lengthy Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, if you were to begin Jesus' sermon that starts in Matthew 5, it goes through Matthew 6 to Matthew 7. So everybody that thinks I preach long, look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It lasts for three chapters. Nonetheless, I digress. Amen. Chapter, verse number 5 of Matthew 6. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they might be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And that's not necessarily talking about some literal closet you enter into. But if that's your prayer place, that's fine. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, Thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And so this morning I want to talk about precautionary principles of prayer, precautionary principles of prayer, because Jesus addresses just a few of these in the the text that I read you today before he begins to tell his disciples, when you pray, say, our Father, which thou art in heaven. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today, this morning. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. God, you are so good to us and so kind and faithful. I need you, Lord, today, and we need you, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, as we once again turn our attention, Lord, to the subject matter of prayer, Lord, its importance, God, in our lives, that it would help guide us, Lord, and be a means of communication and connection, God, that we have with you and will not fail to thank you, God, for what you accomplished through your word in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Has anybody here ever ran out of gas? There's one hand that went up, the rest of y'all lying. Amen. Anybody here ever ran out of gas? Maybe you do it weekly. Some people are chronic like that. Whenever it gets in orange or on E, they believe that means they got 50 more miles left. Now we have modern technology that tell you about how about is the key word, about how many more miles you have whenever that little ding goes off. You can't always trust that. So dad has always taught us through our years that you get down to a quarter of a tank, fill that pup up. Or at least put more gas in it. Mom and dad still, I don't know if they still do it. They'd like do $10 here, $20 there. That's a thimble now. A thimble of gas. I, after evangelizing years, I done decided whenever I feel, go to get gas, I'm just going to fill it up. 
I got to have it anyway, whether it's this week or next week, I got to have it to get around. So try to run with a full tank as much as possible. And there have been just a few occurrences in my life. Yes, I too have ran out of gas on a few, a few occasions. And I've always noticed you can't get very far on fumes. In spite of what the dash is telling me, I can't get very far on fumes. It's an extremely powerless and frustrating way to travel without gas. Without gas. And so there is no power, if I could make the analogy, there is no power in the realm of the church like the power of prayer. And it can likewise be very powerless and frustrating to travel through this everyday life without the power of prevailing prayer in our lives. Samuel Chadwick said it like this, there is no power like that of prevailing prayer. Of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus in sweat of blood. He said, add to this list from the records of the church your personal observation and experience, and always there is the cost of passion unto blood. Such prayer prevails. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. Many times, and and whenever I say this, I don't want you to think that I'm not among the category of all of us, but there is one or a few different places, a few different items in our Christian walk that our adversary is ever going to fight us majorly on. It will be in the subject matter of prayer and fasting and Bible reading, those three in particular. If you're ever going to have a struggle in your Christian walk to keep those disciplines going, then you are among the masses because you're going to have difficulty. I'll tell you right now, you're going to have difficulty. And the reason be, here's what we got to calculate in our minds. The reason why the devil wants to make that so difficult is because we don't really understand how beneficial They are to our Christian walk and our Christian experience. If he can make us think as though it really doesn't matter, then we have cut our own legs out from underneath our bodies by not participating and practicing them. And so as a result of that, many people are trying to operate their lives, live for the Lord, in essence, on fumes trying to operate their lives on fumes. They, they need to get somewhere in their walk in the relationship with God. They need to grow in God. They need to mature in God. Amen. And prayer is an aid and a tool that will help us and equip us to do that through the power of the Holy Ghost. You cannot go far in your walk with the Lord without a prayer life. And that's the way we talk about it. It's not a prayer episode. It's not a prayer pastime. It's a prayer life, meaning a lifestyle in which we participate in. And yet many, many think that perhaps we can get away with it. But what happens the moment life goes upside down? You find your prayer life again. Right? Find our prayer life again. But if you ignore your need to pray, listen, it won't be long, figuratively speaking, that you'll find yourself along the side of the road in need of some help. Amen. And so we all have times of struggling with prayer. And I'm glad we're not the only ones. Amen. That seems to be the case that we find also in the scripture. The Bible says in Luke 11 and verse number one, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he seized one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Of all the things, and this was a request of the disciples, those that ate alongside him, heard him teach through the three and a half years of his ministry, was on mountains and along seashores with the Lord, day in and day night, day in and night, they spent with the Lord. And one of the things that they requested of the Lord was that they would teach, that he would teach them to pray. Perhaps one of the most important things they would ever ask the Lord is that he would teach them to pray. 
pray. And so when one searches out this request of the disciples, one finds them that the disciples, they, they, they could have asked a great many things of the Lord, but collectively as a group of disciples in scripture, we only see two requests collectively that the disciples ever asked of the Lord. One is found in our text, all right, of Luke 11 and 1, and the other is found of Philip in John chapter number 14. Amen. Whenever they requested to see the Father. So one was a request about teaching us to pray. The other one was about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ in essence. And so all of the things that they could have asked for, think about the fact that they asked God, they asked God manifested in the flesh to teach them to pray. Note what they did not ask for. The disciples did not ask for a greater knowledge of the law. They did not ask for power over the elements. They did not ask for the capacity to work miracles. They did not ask for a greater love or a greater patience that they could show forth to mankind or some other character trait like that. They did not ask for thrones and dominions. They didn't even ask for the restoring of the nation of Israel from underneath Roman rule. But they spent these three and a half years with a man called Jesus, could have asked for anything, and the thing that they asked for was this, teach us to pray. They desired that. No doubt because they had witnessed in their own lives in close relationship with the Lord, Him praying in a disciplined, dedicated fashion, and no doubt the things that sprung up from those times of prayer. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, according to the Gospels, prayed often and he prayed much. He had prayed at times in joy and he had prayed at times during moments of deep human sorrow. He had prayed with supplication. He had prayed with thanksgiving. He had prayed many instances in scripture. He prayed alone, all by himself, with no one else around. Yet there were other times he prayed alongside others, along with his disciples. And no doubt those disciples had picked up on these moments and times of Jesus praying because there were times that they woke up in the morning and Matthew's looking over at Andrew and saying, where's the Lord? And it doesn't take them long to begin to realize he's been up a great while before day somewhere. And guess what he's been doing? Praying. And so Jesus responded to the request by giving them a model prayer. We call it today. There's not too many people I know, probably less maybe today than what there would have been generations ago. But there's not too many today that are not acquainted with the Lord's prayer. We call it the Lord's prayer, but actually it's our prayer. It's the one that he conveyed to them that when you pray, say. And Matthew 6 and 9 says this. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus didn't give us this prayer to be read or this prayer necessarily to be recited. But he said after this manner, this prayer was an outline of sorts. A pattern of sorts by which we could order our prayers unto the heavenlies. And so the Lord's Prayer, though, in our scripture text is set in a precautionary context. What that means is because before Jesus Christ gave them this model prayer that they could pattern after and follow, he taught them several important principles about prayer that they needed to consider. And I want to share with you this morning. The first principle that Jesus taught the disciples about prayer before he taught them to pray was this. He says, in essence, you need to pray regularly. I'm just, these are just for your reference. But in Matthew 6, 5, he said, and when thou prayest. In Matthew 6, 6, he said, but thou, when thou prayest. In Matthew 6, 7, in each verse, boom, boom, he says, but when ye pray. Luke 11, in verse 2, he says, and he said unto them, when ye pray. We say this oft times, but it's always so good to reiterate. He didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. So our need to pray was an unstated assumption behind Jesus' statement, when you 
pray. Believers are expected. Disciples, pupils, learners of the Lord are expected to pray. Therefore, it's conclusive that a person must pray, and we must pray regularly. Prayer is God's appointed medium through which he blesses, through which he moves among us, and through which he acts on our behalf. James in his book, which is a very practical book, the book of James, James said it like this. He said, ye have not because ye ask not or you ask amiss. He says, you have not because you ask not. He said, God, what's he saying? He said, God moves and God acts and God blesses through this venue, this vehicle that we call prayer. Some of you prayer like the national anthem at a ball game. It gets the game started, but it's not seen of having anything to do with the action on the field. But that's not so with prayer. If we want the blessing of God on our lives and ministries and the things that we pertain to, the work of God will go forth in the power of prayer. And so we must pray and we must pray regularly. All throughout the scripture, we're admonished to pray. Matthew 6, 6 again says, pray to thy father. These are just references for you. Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, pray. Matthew 9, 38, pray ye the Lord of the harvest. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Ho! Oh, look at that. Prayer is a good preventative program. To keep from falling into temptation, which no man is tempted unless he is tempted of his own lust. But temptation will lead to acting on temptation, which becomes sin, which the wages of sin is death. You back that truck all the way up and a good preventative maintenance for that whole line is prayer. Someone say amen. Luke 18 and 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Ephesians 6, 8, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it doesn't get, and this is just, this is one verse in itself. Pray without, you all know your Bible. Amen. 1 Timothy 2, 8, pray everywhere. Look at that. I don't just pray at church. I pray at home. I pray in the market. I pray while going down the car. I pray while I'm taking a shower. Huh? Pray everywhere. The problem isn't so much in knowing that we need to pray. I think any person you ask, even across the nation, you could do a poll and I could look it up about how many people say they pray, amen, per day or per week. It's not so much in knowing that we need to pray and make it a part of our daily lives as much as it is in developing a spiritual discipline of regularly praying. Because to pray regularly means kind of establishing a habit. A habit of prayer, a practice of prayer, a custom of prayer. They say what? You do something for 21 days and it becomes a habit? So you just ask yourself, when's the last time you had a 21 consecutive day prayer chain from your life? Amen. And so it's something that we must do every day. We must make it a regular part of our lives. For that matter, it's so beneficial, Sister Margaret. It's so beneficial. Amen. To our lives number two principle faith affects prayer prayer in many regards is an expression of our faith prayer is absolutely dependent upon our faith virtually it has no existence apart from it and accomplishes nothing unless it is an inseparable companion of it. Faith and prayer go hand in hand. Your Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he, speaking of God, that cometh, a person for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him before before prayer ever starts toward God before prayer requests are ever made known faith must have gone ahead of our prayer because you will not pray to a God that you do not believe exists 
You will not pray to a God that you do not believe has power to intervene over whatever the circumstance or situation it is you're praying about. We've had a lot of things here lately of dire needs that we've prayed about in the church, people in hospitals and such, and I believe people have joined in prayer because they had the faith that God could answer if he would answer. And so we prayed because we had faith. And so in some modes, and just listen to me this morning, in some modes, a lack of prayer is somewhat tethered to a lack of faith. Because if we believed he really was who he said he was, and he had the ability to do what he says he would do, then by faith, we would go to him in prayer. Faith does not bring the blessing, but yet it does, Ian Bounds said, puts prayer in a position to ask for it, the prayer individual. Amen. You, you, you're not going to go into God unless you believe that he is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith believes in God and it believes that God will answer whenever we cry out to him. And so we, we as seekers are rewarded when we pray because faith believes and sometimes sees what's not yet. Because they know who is. Amen. Diligent prayer says, I have faith in God and his ability to aid me, his ability to help me. A lack of prayer says, whether many times probably unspoken, you'd never say this with your lips, but a lack of prayer says, I don't have faith in God as much as I profess. I'm not totally convinced. He can help with this. Listen, the old song says that I need him. Oh, I need him. Every hour, I need him. I don't want to go a day without believing that he is a rewarder of them that diligently. I don't want to go a day and think I can live my life today without the aid, the help, the management, the intervention of God. Honey, if he breathed the first breath of air into Adam at any moment in time and just what just happened is proof, the brevity of life, he can take it back. I need him every day. Pray regularly and have faith when you pray. Amen. Years ago, I, I watched some type of show. It was based upon a true story of some parents who lost a two-year-old son of theirs out and around their house which was a very country backwoods type of setting it was a wooded area and on this land there were old wells ponds water pits all around it was very very unlikely environment to keep faith for finding their son this two-year-old boy that was lost thereabout on the grounds were trained professionals and neighbors and friends from all around that came to aid in the search. And at one point, the father of the child, of the missing boy, he returned from the heavy wooded area and he was depressed. There were tears in his eyes and he was just kind of overwhelmed and feeling that sense of hopelessness. And the sheriff that was over, over the men that were out there searching admonished this father. He said, sir, he said, you're going to have to get it together. You're going to have to be strong because if you lose faith and believe that the boy is not going to be found, he said everybody else around here is going to lose faith and no longer search. Our faith is deeply tied to our results. It's tied to our seeking. It's tied to our seeking. It's tied to our praying. And so, again, understand how important it was to Jesus that whenever the Bible says, and this is always an awesome thing to consider, the scripture says that Jesus prayed for one of his disciples in particular. He prayed for Peter. Peter was shook in his faith, denied the Lord. And he said, Peter, I'm going to pray for you because the enemy, he's going to try to sift you as we. He said, but I have prayed for you, and this was the Lord's prayer. Of all the things the Lord could have prayed for Peter, he said, I prayed for you. I prayed for your faith. Look at it in Luke 22 and verse 32. But I, Jesus, have prayed for thee, Peter, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy 
brethren. He said, I prayed for your faith. Because faith is attached to many things. But for our purposes this morning, faith is attached to prayer. He knew if Peter lost his, his faith life, he'd lose his prayer life. Whew. If he no longer believed that God could, then he would no, no longer approach him as though he could. Amen. And so he would lose many other graces of God if he lost his faith. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and verse number 5 through 7, and beside this, it speaks a little further up how we have been partakers of the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And beside this, it says in verse 5, give all diligence, add to your faith. Now look, here's a base that we have. Here's a foundation we have. Here's a premise that we have. And now we're going to build upon that. He says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness. Man, it's just like block after block. But the base of it is faith. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. So faith, that was the very, the very origin, the very starting point for this additional process of all these other things that are added unto it. Peter, Peter, the one that Jesus prayed that his faith fail not tells us, tells us not to add to our works. It doesn't say, that the, Peter doesn't say add to your works, uh, uh, virtue, or no, no, no. He doesn't say add to all these giftings that you have, uh, temperance. No, 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 no. He tells us to add to our faith because faith is a key in, a component. And the way to add to our faith is by prayer. Because what happens? Tell me this, when you pray about a particular circumstance, need, whatever it may be, when you pray and you have faith that God is going to answer and he does answer, what does that do to your faith? So you have faith to pray about something, something that's tried and it's answered, your faith increases. So not only, this is the wonderful thing about faith and prayer. It's a vicious cycle. Not only does faith affect prayer, but the end result of prayer is that it affects our faith. Amen. And so we, 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 we go to God, we diligently seek him because we believe he is and it's impossible to please God without faith. And we go to God with faith and we pray and then God answers our prayer and it builds our faith. And it's a vicious cycle. If you can keep faithful and keep praying, he'll make sure your faith is constantly renewed and replenished, not just to have and set dormant on the shelf, but to what? Engage you in prayer over and over and over. Again, so we must pray regularly and we must have faith, amen, that accompanies our prayer. Principle number three, we must pray sincerely. Matthew 6 and 5. Don't, the admonition is don't be like the hypocrites. All right? We must pray sincerely. Praying sincerely requires praying. Here it is. With the right motives. Right motives. Jesus said that it was possible to pray amiss or with the wrong motives. In the wrong fashion. To pray in such a way that we're just kind of casting words in the air and our minds are not attached with what we're saying. To pray just predominantly for personal benefit and that's the only time God ever hears from us. It's the reason why Jesus sets out to teach the right motive rather than the wrong motive in prayer. Wrong motive for the Pharisees in, in this story of our text that I read to you this morning, their wrong motive of prayer was this. They wanted to see of men. They wanted men to see them pray. Oh, God. Is everybody doing all right? They wanted men to see them pray. If you can only pray in a congregational setting but can't pray in private, wrong motive. The right motive is to be seen of God. doesn't matter who's not there. If it's just me and Jesus, that's okay. The scripture bears out that these hypocrites even love to pray. That's what it says. They love to pray. But loving to pray doesn't necessarily denote sincere prayer. You can love to pray for the wrong reason. Amen. 
Most Jews prayed three times a day. But the hypocrites, according to the scripture, prayed on the streets and in crowded places to be seen. There's nothing wrong in praying in those areas as long as your motive is right when you pray there. Well, glory. It's like some people preaching on street corners. There's nothing wrong with that. But if your motive was to do that to hope that a TV camera would show up, well, glory. Here Jesus was teaching in the scriptures on prayer. He was teaching on giving. He was preaching on fasting. But for instance, in Matthew 6 and 1, he said, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. In other words, Jesus said, Don't do what you do to be seen of men. Nothing wrong with giving. There's nothing wrong with fasting. There's nothing wrong with praying. As long as your motive isn't for the sake of the praise of men. Amen. I even don't need the praise of my wife. I don't even need the praise of my pastor. What I long for, what I desire for, what I hunger for should be for the recognition of heaven. And whether that recognition comes among people or just privately, so be it. Amen. Two important things. Two important things. A person who only prays in public but not in private in part is only fooling themselves. And a person who prays in public prays for one reason, the hypocrites did at least, to receive recognition and be seen. Now notice the posture of the hypocrite that's praying in the public. The Bible says he stood praying. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with standing and praying, laying on your face praying, curled up in a ball praying, flat on your back, flat on your face. I don't care how what your posture is praying. But for the hypocrite here, there's a little connection because they stood praying. And again, standing is an acceptable posture. But for the hypocrite, it was an underlying posture, really, of their own heart. Pride. Pride. Arrogance. Self-confidence. You're better seen if you're standing up. Kneeling many times is a picture of humility and reverence and dependence upon God. But it was that upright standing. If you remember the parable of the tares and the wheat, the Lord said, don't go in and pull the tares from the wheat when they're young and immature. Because tares and wheat, when they're young and immature and just sprouting, they look almost identical. Almost identical. It's hard to tell a tear from a piece of wheat in the early stages. He said, you wait till they mature and become full grown. And here's the reason why. Because a wheat gets fruit or grain on it. And due to the grain being on that slither stem of wheat, it bows over a little bit from the weight of its fruitfulness. But what does a tear do? Still stand erect, straight up. He says, you'll know the difference after they mature because one will bear grain and fruit, but the other one will just stand posturally proud. He says, and you'll be able to pluck what needs to be plucked. He says, you'll know. He says, careful now. Careful now when you're standing. It's just because you want attention. And so we need to pray sincerely. We also, number four, need to pray secretly. I'm not saying at all times, but I'm saying this. Matthew 6, 6, he said, when you pray, he said, shut the door. Go into your closet. You don't have to, I'm not talking about a clothing closet. Many times for the Jews, that was them bringing their prayer shawl up over their head. That was their closet of prayer. Their talit with the zit zit. It was, all of that was over them, and that was their place of prayer, their secret place of prayer. He says, but shut the door. Amen. Shut the door. And this also lends to the sincerity of the prayer. Shut the door. Again, Jesus wasn't equating praying alone to effective praying, but he was expressing this need that when you shut the door, it's not just what you're shutting in, but it's what you're shutting out. Amen. When you shut the door, it's not just you getting shut in with Jesus. It's everything else that you're shutting out to keep yourself from concentrating on the Lord in that moment of prayer. If you're going to connect to the Lord and connect to him in a spiritual way, amen, and you're really serious about doing it, you'll minimize some of the distractions. Amen. Jesus says, get alone. Enter your closet. Shut the door. Be un unobserved, undisturbed, unheard except by me we see this over and over again in scripture consider if you will just a few for your reference acts 10 and verse 9 peter went to the housetop to pray acts 10 30 cornelius prayed in his house at the ninth hour mark 1 35 jesus rose up early in the morning before day and went to a solitary place 
and there prayed. Mark 6, 46, Jesus went up in the mountain to pray and continued there all night. Luke 22, verse 41, Jesus withdrew. What's he doing? Getting away. He withdrew himself from the three and went a stone's throw away and kneeled down and prayed. Shut the door. There's times we pray together. I rejoice with that. We have power hour on the first Thursday of the month. I, I, that's great. I love to feed off other people's prayer and hearing other people's voices. But there's other times I need all of that by the side. I need to hear my own voice in prayer. Mm-hmm. And I need to shut out distractions about if there's a baby there. And I know, listen, all young parents are growing up with kids trying to pray. Yeah, it's a lot of effort. It's just a moment of time and season of life. Take that baby to prayer with you. Let them crawl over your shoulders and hang from your arms. I've done it. Let them do it. Amen. Oh, yeah. It ain't going to hurt him. You can beat the jungle gym and pray. But all the while, while you're doing that, you know what they're hearing? A mom or a dad that's praying. And they might not remember it when they're real young, but as they grow a little older in toddler years, there's some things that gets into the minds of a toddler that will never leave. And they'll remember. Years ago, there was a man that was visiting the United States. He wanted to make a telephone call. He entered a phone booth. I know that's been a few years, hasn't it? He entered a phone booth but found that uh, he was from a different place, not of his own country, that those in the United States were a little different. It was beginning to get dark, so he had difficulty finding the number in a directory. Again, that's years ago. In a directory, I remember him, though. He saw, he saw a light in the ceiling of the, of the phone booth, but he didn't know how to turn it on. So he was feverishly trying to find the number, and a passerby noticed his plight and said to the man, he said, sir, if you want to turn the light on, you have to shut the door. To the visitor's amazement, whenever he closed the door, the booth, the little light bulb top came on, and he could locate the number quite, quite quickly. I'm just using that as an analogy this morning. If you want the light on, Sometimes you just got to shut the door. You still got it partially open or cracked. You got to shut it. Hallelujah. Amen. Matthew 6, 6, the Bible says, Thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. There is an open reward for secret prayer. I couldn't tell you the times, and it's not really my place even to tell. Times that I prayed for things and I've seen taking place in the public. Never said, never told anybody about it. But I knew what I had prayed in my closet when no one else was there, Sister Margaret. You know what I'm talking about. You could have went to them and said, I was praying the other day, blah, blah, blah. But you didn't because it was a secret time shut in with God in prayer. But you seen the fruit of it in public in somebody's life. And you said, thank you, Jesus. Brother McGee, I've never witnessed. Because you got to shut the door. You got to shut the door. The committee was assigned to uh, uh, tour a factory of, uh, of a plant to judge its efficiency. The people were shown the various departments, all the large machinery, all the gears and such, made a great deal of noise. And then they were led to a much little smaller room, quieter room, containing nothing but control panels. One of them that was on the tour said, hey, all of this was great, but this little small room here, this isn't very important. There's nothing happening here. The guide looked at him and smiled broadly. A man would come across his face. He said, oh, sir, you don't understand. This is the most important room of all. This is where the power is distributed to the entire factory. And that's a lesson for us. We see all the gears and the workings and the manifestations of different things that happen in the church, happen in our lives happen in our families but let me tell you the most important room of all that is the power behind all of that that takes place many times happens maybe in just a little four by three room where some old grandma or some man or some woman spends some time alone with God and let me tell you I, I feel the Holy Ghost right now the Tammy Conklins and the Jeff Lutz that spent months and months and months in the hospital that are set in their homes today you know what the mechanism behind that is it's prayer it's prayer it's prayer prayer so we must pray secretly 
I understand God's sovereign. God can answer if he wants to or don't answer. God's sovereign. God can do what he wants. But although God has the ability to do what he wants, that should not keep us from asking. That should not keep us from having faith and believing that he can until he indicates that he has a different plan. Principle number five, we need to pray thoughtfully. Let your mind and heart be engaged when you pray. Matthew 6, 7, don't use vain repetitions. Vain repetition is babble. And we find ourselves, I find myself guilty as charged. Sometimes I can get in a mode of prayer and say the same words that I've said a thousand times with no thought behind them. They just flow out my mouth and my mind is totally disconnected from what I'm saying. What is that? Vain repetition. My heart's not in it. My mind's not in it. Vain repetition. Because many times we allow the awareness of his presence or what we're doing to really fade. And we are going through the motions of prayer. Just the same as you can come in here and lift a hand just because that's what you do in church. You just lift a hand. Oh, God. Uh-huh. You just, you're just there like this. Like, you know, slobber can be coming out the, your left cheek. What are, what are they doing? Oh, they're worshiping the Lord. No, they're just going through the motion of worship. Amen. And Sister Mason in the office, I hear her back in the word of the Lord this morning. Amen. So, so both Jesus and Paul repeated petitions. Nothing wrong with that, but let your heart and mind be connected to it. In the garden, Father, not thy will. Paul, he said three times he prayed and asked for the thorn to be removed from his flesh. Nothing wrong with that, but let your heart and mind be connected to it. Don't just let it be flowing in a vain repetition. Amen. Um, when we say the same prayer at the same time on the same, let me say, listen, a lot of our prayers over food is just vain repetition. It's a formality. I mean, really, when's the last time it's like, oh, Lord. Over you. It's a formality. Is it proper? Yeah, God asks us to ask, be grateful for that which is brought to us in, in the New Testament scripture of those things that we partake of. I understand that. But thoughtless prayers sometimes are saying words that sound like prayer again, but our mind is somewhere else. You've got to pray with your mind on hold. All right? Concentrated on him. Amen. Sometimes we pray with our mind on hold. It's somewhere else and our mouth is automatic. Make sure your mind is engaged and your heart is sensitive to what's going on. Isn't it interesting? Jesus places this here in verse number seven, right before he places this about the vain repetitions, right before the very prayer that is often repeated, our father, which thou art in heaven, which to many have become nothing but a vain repetition. Monotone, cadence, our father, which thou art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Sound like robots praying the Lord's Prayer. What is that? It's a vain repetition. That is nothing meaningful to that. Amen. And so he noticed some of these hypocrites, though. So some of them, so they're, they're praying repetitiously, but there's some of them are praying really long. There's nothing wrong with a long prayer. Nothing wrong with a short prayer. Just pray. But there were some that were praying long. And the reason being, because some of these, some of these Pharisees, Felt like long prayers convinced God. Like they had to move God. Nudge God. Stir God to hear and answer their prayer. Listen, God's not deaf. I, my voice elevates sometimes in prayer because that's my human emotion. But God's not deaf. I can whisper a prayer. I can speak in my common language of prayer. Or I can just scream to the heavens and I've done it. In prayer. But I don't have to convince God as though I need you to move on this matter. If I don't stir him up, then he's not going to. No, he knows. But he wants you to know if you know. Amen. Some thought the longer that they would pray, the greater that God would listen. That wasn't the case. They felt like they needed to pray long. You know, sometimes, you know how we are. Sometimes like we, we feel like we need to inform God. So that he'll really understand the situation that's going on. It's so hilarious. God, we start telling him everything we're going through. 
And that's okay. I know sometimes he's a good ear just to unladen your burden on. But sometimes we're almost doing it like we're informing him. Like he don't know. God, I'm going to take 30 minutes here to make my case why you need to move. He's not deaf. He's not ignorant. He's omnipotent. Omniscient. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. Amen. And some were praying long. Here it is. The Pharisees in particular praying long because they felt like it made them look more spiritual. How long you pray has nothing to do with how spiritual you are. You can pray long, still act like the devil. You used to have pastor, God used him in the gifts of the spirit greatly. And they would pray long at their church. They'd pray long. He said, someone from the outside came, yeah, you all, you all think you perfect. That's the reason why you all hold those long prayer means you think you perfect. He said, no, sir, you're wrong. He said, we don't think we're perfect. We know we're not. And that's the reason why we're praying. The Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day said things like this. Whoever is long in prayer is heard. Whenever the righteous make their prayer long, their prayer is heard. One famous Jewish prayer. Now, this is no joke, folks. One famous Jewish prayer began like this. <clears throat> Let me get my voice right. <laughs> Sorry. Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, and honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. That's the start. Honey, I don't care how many adjectives you throw in there. You don't have to have these and thou's in King James Version. You hear me? King James Version vernacular in order to reach heaven. Whatever your vocabulary is. If you're a hillbilly and you can only get hillbilly speech to God, you praying. It doesn't matter if it's the voice of a child from the voice of a professional with a PhD that can speak, you know, six, six syllable words. It matters not. You are praying. Amen. I don't have to try to impress God with our many words. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and 2, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. God doesn't hear our prayer because it's a long prayer, or it's a repetitious prayer, or it's a nicely uh, orated or devised with vocabulary prayer. God recognizes prayer when we genuinely attached our heart and mind with it and we pour out our heart to God and he's interested in our motive it doesn't it, uh, God doesn't uh, if you will bat an eye if we have all this language but I tell you what we got the attention of heaven when snot's dripping from our nose and tears are flowing down our face and we can barely even put into words what we're feeling and what the Bible says in Psalms 51 and verse 16 the psalmist says, for thou, speaking of God, desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. For one thing, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Speaking of the Old Testament, they brought all these sacrifices, but he owned it all to begin with. Do you realize every sacrifice and every animal they brought to God was already God's? They were sacrificing something that was his to begin with. Whenever you bring your tithe, you bring something that already belongs to God. You're not bringing something you have, you're bringing something you're a manager over. Yeah, that's for another day. He said, he said that you desire not sacrifice, else I would give it thee. Thou delightest not burn offerings. Luke verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Brother, we've just been so broken lately. I just don't know if I could pray. That's when you should be praying. So broke. Because probably you're going to be more in tune, more connected, mind and heart. And you would maybe on any other day of the week. Prayer is a matter of the spirit. It's a matter of the heart. Again, not of word, not of length. If you'll stand with me today. So in review, the precautionary principles of prayer is again that we must pray regularly. We must understand that our faith affects our prayer and in return our, fair, our prayer affects our faith. We must pray sincerely. All right? We've got to pray secretly. There's got to be times you shut the door. We pray as a congregation, that's great. But among and amid all that, there must be times you shut the door. Nothing else. You got a prayer. Pray thoughtfully. Ben Jennings said this, and I close. Without its biblical principles being taught, prayer 
is unstable without our catching the principles by applying them to our lives it is sterile so i know the need of prayer i know the lord prayed i know he prayed regularly and often he desires the same of me again sometimes it's just a disconnect between what we know and practice what we know and practice so I'm not telling anybody, no one misunderstand or miscue. I'm not telling anybody, go away today unless you don't pray three hours a day, bless God. No. But I will say this. Try to be consecutive and regular with your prayer. And when you pray, when you pray, don't detach mind and heart. Be there. Not just physically, mentally. Be there. Because the Lord, and I'm just saying, the Lord has ways to teach us again how to pray. But I don't understand why there's just always trouble and problem one after another always comes in our lives. Maybe that's the only way he can keep you praying. Learn how to pray when it's well and when it's not well. Amen. In both regards. Amen. Make it a habit. Make it. Not a habit and so much so it's second nature that you do it, but you're there when you do it. You're engaged as you do it. Amen. The precautionary principles of prayer. We'll go through some of these other things and weeks and stuff to come, and it might be disjointed here and there uh, with some other stuff. But nonetheless, amen, it's important. Listen, folks, this is important to your walk with the Lord, with your relationship with the Lord. It's important to pray in your faith. Hallelujah. Can we close our eyes this morning? Bow our heads in this place. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I thank you, God, that you are mindful of us. I'm thankful, Lord, that you have given tools and disciplines, God, such as prayer, Lord, to keep us tethered to you, to keep us in good standing and right relationship with you. God, to be means, Lord, in ways, God, that we can grow, Lord Jesus grow for you i pray oh lord today god we all have things that come at different times and seasons of our lives god that provoke prayers in our lives god that 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 is beyond lord ourselves things that we cannot control and it seems like sometimes that's when we pray when there's things that come into our lives we can't control but lord if we come to the reality we really can't control the things we think we can control day by day perhaps we would go to you in prayer and seek the help and the aid and the guidance of the lord just to give us the strength and the wisdom to make it another day god i pray oh lord jesus help us to be people that pray teach us lord as the disciples of old ask god we ask even in this hour teach us lord to pray in the name of the lord jesus christ that i pray in Jesus' name and the church say, amen. Amen. And listen to me. Say, oh, Brother McGee, I'm going to get that habit going. And you go 10 days and you miss a day and you're like, oh, you're going to throw the baby out. with the- I just can't do it. And you stop. Don't do that. Pray again tomorrow. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.